0: and girls welcome to another edition of the business of sports with andrew brandt i'm andrew brandt your host we're produced by jack connell that music you hear under us is my son sam brandt just had a birthday at boy blue tunes where you can hear more of his music we're presented as always by DraftKings. special end of february start of the combine start of the nfl offseason. got some other issues all for you i just want to let you guys know that I've been doing this newsletter for three years, and I've now combined it with some other benefits that really give you an insight and perspective and differentiated content you don't get elsewhere. So I just want to make you guys aware if you want to sign up. Um, It is the Sunday 7. Go to sunday7newsletter.com. And I'm combining with daily videos, with a monthly webinar, with Ask Me Anythings yes there's a small price but boy is it small it's $2.99 a month $20 for the year just to get all my insights so go to sunday7.com and i will uh have you sign up you get my newsletter you get me as much as you want all right just wanted to get that out of the way let's start with a couple things uh just to get you going on the nfl offseason and i'm here you know this is the time of year as I talked about with Ross Tucker last week, it's my time to shine. So step on in, don't be afraid. I'll take you through this offseason. Starting with the NFL salary cap. Last week, late last week, I believe Friday actually, we got news of a record cap in the NFL, 255 million. That is a major increase from 223, 2023 cap, which was 224. So Basically, I'm getting my 220s mixed up. In the year 2003, the salary cap was 224. In the year 2024, the cap is 255. Bottom line, a 30 million plus increase and a 13.4% increase. Now, it's a great thing. Everyone's talking about it. What a rise. Um, What an amazing deal for players and teams can be more flexible, et cetera, et cetera. Let me give you some caveats. Now, I'm not throwing water on the increase. I think it's great. It's great the players have that. It's great the teams have more flexibility. Here are some things you need to know about that. Number one, the cap is said to be 48% of, of all league revenues. That's not true. Okay. If you multiply 255 million times 32, that gives you $8.16 billion. Okay what depending on what you read about revenues coming into the NFL i've seen 18 19 20 21 billion dollars 8.1 billion dollars is nowhere near 48% of even 18 billion or 19 billion or certainly 20 billion so what i'm saying is when you see 255 million and that's what teams are paying i average to their players That's nowhere near what we hear about 48% of revenues going to the players. Why do I say that? Where's the other money going? Well, a few things. Money's coming off the top. So all this money that comes into the NFL, they just disperse it to the 32 teams. But before they do, they take their share. They take their cut. So what you need to know about what percentage of what is the cap, well, First of all, the NFL takes its, its cut off the top, pay their salaries, pay Roger Goodell 50, 60, $80 million a year, et cetera, et cetera. Then there are all these categories, which no one ever mentions, that are not part of the revenue calculation for the players. What are those? Well, a big one is premium and club seed revenue. That's not shared. That's not shared. That's not shared from owners to other owners and that's not shared from owners to players. So all those fancy seats like Taylor Swift is sitting in. Players don't have any, any claim to that revenue. None. Stadium naming rights. Players don't have any claim to that revenue. None. AT&T Stadium, all going to the Joneses from AT&T. SoFi. None of that's going to the Rams. Players. OK, pick your stadium, Jiha, whatever that is, in uh, Kansas City, FedEx in Washington, D.C., in, Ma- in Maryland, Hard Rock in Miami, Mercedes Benz, Caesars in New Orleans. OK, none of that is going to the players. What else is not going to the players? Well, all that real estate that teams are building, like my old team, the Packers and Town, all that revenue from that that they invest in and get revenue from? No, players don't get a dime of that. And one other thing is that what about gambling revenues? Well, players get some, but it's really limited to game day gambling revenue. And if, if anything, in-season gambling, what about off-season? No, players don't get any of that. So when you see that 255 million is a good number well it's not a great number it's not 48% it's not 48% of all revenues again let's just say the NFL pulls in 18 billion 8 billion is hardly 48% of 18 billion so the salary cap is supposedly 48% of all revenues but it's not 48% of all revenues it's 48% of revenues Minus stadium naming rights, minus club seat revenue, minus uh, revenue from investment in real estate, minus some most gambling revenue. I mean, there's a ton of exclusions, so people have to know that. The other thing to know is that don't feel bad for the owners. They get a check from the NFL, each team of, over, of around or over $400 million, depending on the year, $400 million just for being in business. That's their share of national revenue from licensing sponsorships and most importantly, media. Remember the media deals, 110 billion over 10 years, that's being split. And the check from the NFL is 400 million. That'll go up. That is almost $150 million more than what the cap provides to pay the players, their most expensive line item, player costs. So again, Before owners even make a drop of local revenue, before they turn on the lights, they have 400 million, of which 255 maybe goes to the players. Mm, What a business! What a business! The other thing you need to know about a cap increase, and it's easier this year than other years, is that the natural maturation of contracts soaks up a lot of that increase. So what do you what do I mean by that? So you look at a a salary. Uh, compilation for the teams, your best players, your quarterback, your defensive end, your corner, your top receiver, they've got escalating salaries every year. So so let's say there are 10 of those and they each go up at least a million a year. Some are going up 2 million a year. Some are going up 3 to 5 million a year, just the maturation of the contract. Some of these deals for quarterbacks go up 5 to 10 million a year. So that's going to eat up most of your cap increase. Say you have 10 players. Average increase is is $2 million. That's $20 million right there. Then you have all your minimums going up. That's probably another 5 to $10 million. There goes your cap increase, right? So don't think. Now, the one thing it will allow as I started this is less restructures where you're pushing out pain into future years. You're doing this cap proration game where you push out the pain. Having said that, these teams are still doing that, especially the New Orleans Saints. They've already pushed out 23 million on Derek Carr, right? Creating 23 million this year and pushing it out to years where he's probably not even there. They did it with Granderson. They're doing it with others. Other teams are still doing the pushout game. But, you know, the Packers did it with Rashawn Gary. Well, <clears throat> it's a dangerous game, but they'll do it, even with this heavy cap increase. As to whether it will affect free agent prices, I'm. let's hold the phone on that. Let's see what happens. Are we going to see new levels in free agency and existing players on their own teams getting deals done that go above what we think of in the top of the market? Because, hey, we got this new cap increase. I'm not so sure. And then when you see the running backs... Word comes out yesterday that Saquon Barkley, probably not going to get a tag. Josh Jacobs, not going to get a tag. Derek Henry, not going to get a tag. Austin Eckler, not going to get a tag. Tony Pollard, not going to get a tag. Well, that's going to create a glut at the game's least valuable position, at least in terms of income compa- besides kicker and punter. Like, wow. This $255 million new record level cap is not going to do a lot for running backs. I don't think you're still going to have an outlier like McCaffrey, but wow, you're not going to see much. I don't think they're going to get the level of the tag, these players, which is 12 million. So that's going to go down. That's going to go down in my opinion. Now will the next big receiver contract go up from whatever the top level is 26, 27 million a year. Will the next big D lineman go up from 32 a year where Nick Bosa was probably not. Will the next quarterback go up? That's when we got to see. I don't know who's in that boat. Kirk Cousins, of course. We'll see what happens there. But don't count your chickens about this new cap increase that it's going to create this massive wealth. We'll just have to see. If it, you know, if it gets teams to manage the cap a little more conservatively, which I always did at the Green Bay, great. But I'm not so sure about that. Okay, that's the cap increase. And I wanted to give you some insight there. Probably you don't hear other places. Speaking of which, let's talk about as we go to the cap and go to the business, of the NFL, it's starting right now. I'm on we're recording on February 27th, the NFL combine. It's starting. It's happening. I want to say this. I went to the combine 10 years as an agent, 10 years as a team, nine with Green Bay, one with the Philadelphia Eagles where I consulted Um, in 20 years at the combine. And by the way, I'm not going back. I put in my lifetime quota. I did go back a couple of years ago as a quote unquote agent helping Gary Vee and Vayner Associates. I didn't like it at all. I'm done. No, the combine's not a fun time. And I, uh, I put in my lifetime quota there. Okay, I never saw a workout. Never saw a workout live. And people say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that what the combine is? No, not for people on the business side. This is the front office time to shine. Front office on the scouting side, of course, that's what they do. They go to the workouts, they interview the players, they poke them, prod them, test them, et cetera. But from a business side of an NFL team, this was a hugely busy time having nothing to do with the workouts. So, what I would do is I would go to the combine and set up shop in our hotel. We stayed at the Omni right there. Indianapolis is so central, there's so much there. You just stay there. And I had my little corner of the uh, hotel where I set up shop, a little desk. (laughs) Uh, And I saw the, you know, four corners of the lobby. There was the Chargers over there. There were the Chiefs over there. There were the Broncos over there. Somehow I stayed with all the AFC West teams. And uh, we all had agents just running through. There were agents for players we wanted to extend, great. There were agents for players that we were trying to reduce, not so great for them. There were agents for players who were upset about their contract levels. And then of course there were the agents for the pending free agents. Now agents for pending free agents of our own team, you obviously want to meet, but they're there not to meet with you. They're there to meet with these other teams that may be wanting their services. I got so frustrated one year where I had a pending free agent. I wanted to get something done, but my agent was, the agent was so busy. His dance card was full with all these other teams. They were trying to sign his player. And, of course, he went, ended up going to another team. In terms of tampering, I mean, basically you say to the agent, hey, I see if your guy's free, what is going to be his what he's looking for? And, you know, trying to make it very general. That's not tampering. And if you are accused of tampering, I mean, all these agents represent players on the teams that are not free agents, so there's always cover. Um, but that's really what's going on at the Combine it's a very business oriented approach it is the football convention so compared to the super bowl which is very corporate the league executives the owners this is more business the combine and by the time agents leave the combine with free agents to be in a couple of weeks they know they know who they're signing with or they know they're two three teams they pre qualify teams that'll give them the bonus level they want say they want 25 million the average level they want say it's 15 million They know it they got it. They'll do it and we'll see what happens. That's the business of the combine and the agent world that goes on there. Every agent's there. Uh, On the college side, yeah, the agents run around with their list of players they're representing in the draft. And that's kind of useless. I mean, they're not going to impress upon the teams that they should draft their player. Uh, But they all have their lists about who they're representing in the draft. Okay. One thing on football before I leave the area and go to a couple other sports. Yesterday, Monday morning, February 26th, Peter King wrote his column for Football Morning in America for NBC Sports and then noted that was his last column. He's retiring. I have so much to say about Peter King. I'll limit my remarks here, but I do want to say this is a loss, not for me, not for just NFL media, but for all media. What a what a uh, star, what a king Peter King has been. He has uh, transformed the coverage of the NFL. He speaks in an easy manner. His columns are always so easy to read, and it makes you feel smarter and makes you feel like you're talking to a friend about the NFL. I'll miss Monday mornings with Peter King, whether it was Sports Illustrated or NBC Sports. What a lovely writer and what a lovely person. I know people all over the NFL that adore Peter King. He treated owners and coaches the same way he treated the lowest level employees. He seemed genuinely interested in talking to you when he did. When I was with the Packers, we had all the national media come through every year, sometimes two, four, six times a year. And some of them were like, roll your eyes, even cringe when they come through. But Peter was always like, Hey, that's nice. Peter's here. It's always nice to visit with him. It was a pleasure to work with him. And then of course, when I got into media after the Packers, I started writing for my own site and then I started writing for ESPN while I was doing TV there. In 2013, Peter came to me and said, I'm starting a new football microsite at Sports Illustrated. They're giving me the site. It's gonna be called Monday Morning Quarterback. How'd you like to write a business of football column? Well, a couple things. I had to extricate my writing from ESPN. So I had to go to ESPN and say, Listen, I want to stay with you on the TV side, but on the writing side, I want to move to Sports Illustrated where I didn't say this and go to your biggest competitor and work with Peter King. And you know what? Even though my agent wouldn't even ask because he thought it'd be a definite no, I asked and they said, yeah, okay. Because they realized the value of someone there writing with Peter King and the brand association that that built. One of my career highlights is peter king tapping me to be his guy in that band we put together in 2013. now 11 years later i'm still writing columns for the mmqb just submitted one today and i'm the last remaining original member of the band peter hired and great talents and developed them and nurtured them young talents like jenny vrentis now at the New York Times, Emily Kaplan now at NFL, ESPN covering the NHL. Robert Klemko now at the Washington Post. He developed these guys. Um, so, what a prince! And just I wanted to say that about the retirement of Peter King. <coughs> okay, couple college issues I want to talk about after we recorded last week. Electronic Arts announced the new video game coming out: college football game. That has been on the shelf since 2014 based on a lawsuit by Ed O'Bannon saying, hey, you got to pay us for the name, image, likeness stuff and cowed by that deterred by lawsuits. EA went away. Now with NIL legal, they came back and here's their deal to 11,000 college football players, all 85 scholarship players on all FBS schools. They're offering this deal, 600 bucks and a game free game on the system of your choosing okay that comes out to about six million dollars the ea is willing to spend to have all the name image likeness rights of all the college football players this season so they can put it into their game well (coughs) my thought first of all for 96 percent of college football players that's a good deal no they're not going to get that (laughs) from any other video game provider their value that being in the game has more value to them than it does to EA. But for that other three, 4%, it's a bad deal because their NIL value is much greater than that. Now, will they opt in those players? Maybe. Will there be a competitive product that pays them their true market value? We'll see. But I think it's interesting that we focus so much on the outliers, the Caleb Williams, et cetera. But what about those in the, in the, majority, the vast majority, speaking of which, NIL is now, any restrictions on NIL are now on life support for the moment, a suit by the attorneys general of Tennessee and Virginia on basically restricting the NCA from any NIL, from, from the, restricting the NCA on basically restricting the athletes. So basically they're saying any restrictions on NIL should be illegal. And in a preliminary injunction, the court in Tennessee agreed with them. What does that mean? That means until this case has wended its way through trial, which, by the way, the judge thinks that the attorneys general will win, there are no rules about NIL. So basically, it becomes when the transfer portal opens in April, it becomes pay for play. Now, with a couple of caveats, state laws still have NIL restrictions and rules and regulations But those, A, haven't been enforced and could be repealed based on this new court case. The NCA is on its heels again. I guess what they're going to say is until this figures itself out, yeah, there are no rules. Just like that multi-time transfer thing that went on earlier. They basically said until this whole thing figures it out, this one year we're allowing no rules, you can transfer and play right away no matter how many transfers. So this Tennessee, Virginia case is an interesting one. Um, Yes, amateurism is under attack. The bottom line, as I've been saying throughout this, is that college athletes are not unionized. They may be after the Dartmouth case and whatever happens, but they're not. So that means they're like you and I. And they come under antitrust law rather than labor law where where the management is immunized by a collective bargaining agreement. So basically, any restrictions are going to be thrown out. A judge or a jury is going to look at this and say, well, why would you do this to an athlete if you're not doing it to Joe Blow or anyone? (laughs) Are you stopping a college music major from making however much a symphony would pay them? No. No. So what we have is the courts and the lawyers winning over the NCA and the Hail Mary the NCA is throwing to Congress to get an exemption, an antitrust exemption, so they're not thrown in these lawsuits. It's not Charlie Baker's fault, who's the now president of the NCA, but it is his inheritance for decades of inertia by Mark Emmert and the NCA and putting their head in the sand about this. Now the lawyers have won and we'll see where it goes, but it doesn't look good. So we will have pay for play in terms of the NIL recruitment and inducement process in April. And I'm not sure what, if anything, can be done about that. Last word, and it's also on college sports, and now we move to college basketball. There is a ton in the news about the court storming issue when Wake Forest beat Duke the other day and the, the fans, Students mostly stormed the court and injured Filipowski, one of, if not Duke's, best player. Okay. First, there's a legal angle. Will he have a lawsuit if he's he's hindered in the upcoming NBA draft by this? Yeah, probably against Wake, against the arena, against security, lost earnings. Sure. That's a long way off. Now we have everyone and their brother coming out against court storming. My question is, where were they? We've been we've been seeing court storming forever and field storming in football and tearing down goalposts, etc. Where were these calls to stop it? Why are we seeing this now? Well, it's because a guy got injured. Well, the the opportunity for injury has been there forever. Forever. I just think this bandwagon stuff about, oh my God, we got to stop court storming. You know, when Kaitlin Clark got slammed a couple weeks ago, we didn't hear it then. The biggest name in college basketball, it's not Filipowski, it's Clayton Clark. Now, oh, she didn't get injured. So? I mean, like, what are we doing here? And if you want to stop court storming, okay, you can. There are arenas all over the country that don't allow it. That before the game ends, security encircles the court. But yes, you can stop it. But why are we yelling about this now? What if Filipowski didn't get hurt? Would we be talking about this? Would anyone be saying stop court storming if there was no injury in the game the other night? No Duke player, no Wake player, no, no fan, et cetera. Of course not. <clears throat> I just think this reaction is... Yeah. Do we feel for Filipowski? Sure. Will he have a future earnings suit if he can't play due to this? Sure. But I mean, stopping court storming, where were these cries? One year, two weeks ago, with Kate and Clark, a year ago, a month ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, these people coming out, what was that Auburn game or one of those games where they come out of the hedges and they, bump into each other and some girl went flying. Do we hear about court field storming, stopping that then? No. Okay. I'm done ranting and the branch rants are complete. Okay. Remind you again. My Sunday 7 newsletter is combined now with other benefits. Be sure to get those. Go to andrew-brant.com, sign up. Uh, it'll direct you to where to sign up for this. Okay. Instagram Reels, Andrew Brandt 2, Twitter, Andrew Brandt. Please hope you find this unique, differentiated content a different and more interesting in some ways podcast than all the other sports podcasts. Give us a rating, give us comments. Always appreciate those. Any feedback to me directly, go to Andrew at Andrew Brandt.com. Always appreciate that. If you want to support the podcast, Andrew Brandt 20 at Venmo. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Jack Connell, my producer. Thanks to Sam Brandt, my son, our musical producer. Thanks to DraftKings for the sponsorship. And thanks to you for listening and your patronage. Always appreciate it. I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.